With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Every movement has its book. Gritty. Every movement has its book. Gritty, raw, and spiritual, Ghetto Plainsman chronicles one man's triumph over humiliation, self-defeat, anger, and violence. 
by taking us on a chaotic journey between urban survival and the life or death struggles of the ravaged American Great Plains. As a modern-day parable for our crashing earth, this gripping story reveals how someone on the cut, hustling, drug-dealing, and trying to beat back despair, transforms himself into someone working to save great stretches of the American West that proved to be even more violent and devastated than the inner city. Jared Manos finds comfort on a curb or in the shadows of a deserted street. He sees the world as a constant war zone filled with hatred and ugliness. He burns with backlash resentment. To complicate matters, he's tormented by his self-loathing denial of his sexuality and wants to kill it out of him. From coastal Texas to an 80s, early 90s New York City under siege by drugs and AIDS, to a xenophobic L.A. wasteland divided by race and class, all the way out to the stricken Great Plains, Manos can barely see the door that the earth has always held open for us to heal, until, at his last grasp, it is inside the eye of this storm that Manos finally hears the inner voice, Where are you right now? His personal healing transformation is a model for the new ecological health movement. Beautifully written, infused with a raw realism, hope, and an epilogue of practical solutions, Ghetto Plainsman is the searing journey of one of the Green Movement's most original voices at a time when the world is in crisis and heading into ecological collapse. Jared Manos, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Hey, what's going on? Man, man, it's so good to have you on, man. I'm, I've just been so busy researching the Ghetto Plainsman and trying to figure out what this is all about. Uh, let's just get started and tell us a little bit about your book and um, what the title is all about to help our readers to understand just who you are. Well, Ghetto Plainsman took me over eight years to write, and basically I was um, I came to this point where uh, I saw that the problems of our, our bodies and our lives mirrored that of uh, the earth, and I run a nonprofit now that helps some of our most damaged young people heal themselves through healing the land. And many people would ask, "Well, how did you come to care?" So it's a journey from uh, it's a literary journey from rock bottom and, and anger and utter hopelessness to climbing up the stairs of stamina to. Uh, Lead an exhilarating life by getting healthy and giving back. Right, right. Now, this is really amazing, your story, because um, although, you know, you may be able to find a few stories that start out somewhat like yours, but you probably won't run into many that would lead you to the life that you live today. So how is it that the outcome of your story is not the tragedy that one would expect given your history? Um, you know, that's a... Uh, I don't know. Something just. I think that that there was a, a faith, even when I when I shouldn't have had any. And um, I think a faith in God, faith in earth, and seeing that there was uh, an assistance of of life and willingness to survive. And that I felt. I definitely felt that well, God and earth were holding a door open for us to get past our problems. I may be the least likely person to insist on an ultimate goodness in people, but once you know, once I survived my own life, it just you know I was still standing, and 
what else was there for me to do but give back. So I created my nonprofit, Great Plains Restoration Council, and, you know, we have our two programs, Plains Youth Interaction and Restoration, Not Incarceration, and we're 11 years old, thriving. Mm, great, great. And so tell us some of the ways you're actually um, making an impact on the youth and how you're reaching out to them with your um, nonprofit. Well, it, we we do all of our ecological work through our through a social work approach because I think so many times, I think so many times that we are so separate from 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 everything in our lives, even whether even our, our own bodies, our own lives, even the planet itself, each other. So we build we build tools of becoming uh, connected and basically the process of some of our most damaged people, they go on this, this trackway to learn to recover, restore, renew, protect, and they do it simultaneously for their own bodies of their lives. Now, you know, I, I read something about um, when you were a very young man and as a child, um, you, you really didn't understand how to relate to people and you didn't even understand why people... Um, would care for folks and why they didn't just take advantage. You sort of expected that. Tell us about that time in your life. Yeah, I guess um, I was so alienated and angry, I didn't even realize that people had relationships. I thought people were just something you had to get through. And so I didn't have that. I I think that I was just so, so, uh, you know, overwhelmed by everything. And at the same time, I saw, it just seemed like, the world was a, a dangerous, hostile place that, you know, and that people were hostile as well and that everything was guaranteed to shift for the worse at any moment. So, mm. you know, and I was uh, pursued by um, old men a lot. I, was, you know, I felt like everything, every place, everybody was a threat. And mm. there, was no, there was no safe place. So, you know, <laughs> it, um, I work with a lot of people right now who cannot even see till to next Wednesday. That's a foreign concept to them, and I guess I can sort of I can relate to that just day to day or minute to minute. Mm-hmm. But but tell us what was going on in your um, your home life and in your situation when you were young that these things were a threat to you. How was this? Um, um, I mean, what was your upbringing like? Uh, did you have a happy childhood or? Well, I. Um, it's sort of. I guess I was just so alienated from people. Mm-hmm. I. It wasn't. It wasn't anything um, extreme. I was sort of just more or less, uh, pretty much just making my way through. I didn't really have any influences. But I'm not one of those people who wants to say, "Oh, I had like a really bad childhood," because everybody has bad childhoods. I just. It was. I just for whatever reason, I, I had a couple head injuries. I had also just. I just was really alienated and angry mm. about a lot of a lot of things and it seemed like everywhere I went there somebody was was pursuing you or or mm. not gonna curse messing with you or, or trying mm. to do whatever, you know, and that was all that I saw and I bristled and re uh, against that. Right. Now now you your story is a journey and it and it takes you all over the country. Uh, and I couldn't understand why the movement. What was that all about? Was this a, a running process where you discovered yourself? Yeah. Well, I, you know what, I um, had this 
it got to a point where cer- certainly I was was probably I couldn't stay put. I couldn't stay put. And then as things as I got you know further on into life, I had this idea that that everything was hopeless, and so I was at one point I said I was going to disappear. I was going to go out into the wild, into the American West, into mm. Into nature, and then I was going to disappear, and I was so angry that I was I was never going to talk to anybody again. I was just going to d- disappear. I wasn't really thinking, and um, but then I found a far worse war zone, like like you said in the intro, and mm-hmm. you know it basically when people don't realize that the there is there there is another kind of violence that goes on against. You know the the planet herself. I mean, just just even like you know nature herself. Just the things that keep you know the the elements that keep us alive. The the killing contest. The mm. the the destruction of of everywhere you went, and then this this over like pervasive like hatred that you would see. So it really I found no safe place, and then I realized that I started. Murder Row seems safer than the West after a while. Now, what what was it that happened though that made you to see this was the case? And you know, this is something that you sort of had an epiphany at some point, and you realized and started focusing on what you were seeing and, and viewing it a different way. What was that that started it? Was it just some major event that happened, or was it a process? It was a long process. You know, and I mean, my trackway was from you know. At first, desperation to getting up on my feet a little bit, I fell down. I mean, I I ended up becoming a, a drug dealer. I had an opportunity. I had about two dollars left in my name, and I wasn't out buying BMWs or gold chains or anything like that. It was a one-way street for me, and I just I had this idea that I was going to fund my own war against all the destroyers. Because when you go out to the west, you would see, you think that you're going out to nature, but you see so much like the the overgrazed land, the bristling wires, the the shooting of, of animals from helicopters and planes, your poisons, snares, mm. traps, and guns, killing contests, you know, people trying to run you down. And it wasn't even so much that I cared so much about my own survival as much as, as others. And it seemed such a Job-like experience, like, you know, God-forsaken earth, even though God was still there. It was such a I saw such a struggle to survive, and then I started peering deeper into the American story, and I saw even I was I was traumatized by the horrors that I became aware of, and that were still around me, at, right all around me. Mm. So, what does one do to, to begin to combat these things that you see around you? I mean, you're just one man. <laughs> I know. So, real talk, it was a it was. A long process, but when I realized that there was no safe place, and once again, like I said, I had sur- survived. I think I came to ground inside myself, and I I, re- I know I had learned a lot. And um, I also had begun to on the street and in New York and 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 other places started you know interacting with people, and I I started. Even strangers on the street saying "What's up?" or females mm-hmm. saying "Hi," and females saying "Hi" and say "Hey," asking if they want to cook, cook me dinner. <laughs> and I started seeing that you know I, that there were good people. And I, as a person who thinks about everything, 
I question my own perspective. Mm. And and I, so I, I noticed myself growing an attachment and love for people. And when I saw that animals are dying, people are suffering, Earth itself is dying, if we just accept accept it all, then it's just, you know, collapse. And I mm. learned a lot, so I wanted to... I wanted to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, wa- I wanted work to be. That's also seen in some. I've gotten involved in a lot of the the social justice struggles, like the and um, some of the anti-war protests front during the Persian Gulf War and, and things like that. And I thought that if you're going to bring people together, they need to be actively involved, not just sitting behind a desk. Right. Right. So. So. Who were some of the people in the very beginning who um, you connected with that helped you to begin to build this um, huge organization that you have? Well, we're not huge yet, but I'm working for it. But um, <laughs> so, it, it, I, uh, I volunteered or with other, some other nonprofits, both in New York and in the um, in the West. And I learned, and I did a lot of reading, and I just took my steps forward. I brought, I, I started connecting with with uh people who you, you like some social workers you cross paths with and we start, we started building it together. Mm. Well, that's great. Um and, and what is the primary goal of your organization now? Because it seems like you're involved in a lot of things. You're you're touching the lives of people in a number of different ways and we hope to be able to touch on each of those. But um let's start with what the primary focus is of your organization. Well we we everybody there's a dual purpose that we see one in as the same. You've heard all about uh, rainforests and the problems they are in, but the middle part of this country that we actually live in, the the prairies and the plains are far far more damaged. Like here in the coastal prairie there's less than one percent left. And that's that's you know, an extreme dangerous situation. At the same time there are so many people who have experienced a similar de- devastation. So I've created this 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 model, this three tier model where people through work therapy can work to stave off the extinction crisis while stabilizing their own lives and building a track with a new even new green jobs. And mm. that in my it's we're in our first year of my program restoration on incarceration. I've been working with not only formerly incarcerated folks, but people who are homeless, and it's mm. been a lot of a lot of work this last eight months. But we're we're um, we're mi- making an opening for people to to actually create something that leaves you a little bit better off than you were at the beginning of the day. But they did it with their own hands and minds and spirit and body. Yeah, and what does this work involve? What are the people well, actually doing? Right now, we've, um, we're working on creating some parks and preserves. We're working one in South Houston called Esteban Park that was very, very degraded. And so it was just like as if you had somebody who was a a, a injury victim or had some had some uh, personal problems or whatever. It would be a, an assessment, so then they, they partner in the recovery. So whether you're removing invasive species, showing of the land, rebuilding wetlands, and through that, then they look at the bodies of their own lives, and they're supported by uh, counselors, or social workers, and people like myself through the process mm. of recovery. And then they take ownership of it. And then at the end of, should they graduate, 
the way it's set up is that they could use this experience to and the sport we could help them get stabilized and hopefully find a job or we're also looking at investment we're trying to we're trying to become an agency that can employ people ourselves because you've heard of the well, that book, The New Jim Crow, there's a lot of times people make one mistake and then they are, uh, you know, and they get a record and they're almost unhirable. Right. But, um, so we want, um looking for business investments. Since we have the tools and the experience to work with that population, we're, we want to be a new green jobs pr- provider because we can, and we'll specifically hire people who have been formerly incarcerated. And now, we're so, I, I just wanted to ask a little bit about, because um, I saw some videos of you speaking and, and reaching out to folks. How long did it take before you started doing these speaking engagements? Was it after the book was written? And how did you go about writing the book? What was that process? Because um, you said it took you eight years to do it. Yes, and I appreciate that. Because I, I am a writer, and I've been published in newspapers and magazines and elsewhere and um I do aspire to literature and I feel that if if anybody's gonna take the time to come on a journey with me I need to honor their time. So mm-hmm. it's written it's written as a, a story. People keep saying when is it going to be made into a film and I hope that I was gonna done. ask that. <laughs> yeah, I've um I, we're gonna try to there's been some talk with some people out in LA uh, so we're we're trying to move that a little bit further along this year. But writing mm-hmm. people who are interested in literature, I think what we need to do for those of us who are writers is is make it accessible, just like spoken word made poetry mm-hmm. accessible. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one of my things is I put the literature back into urban literature because it's that genre hasn't been given the most amount of props, if you know what I mean. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and um, I'm glad you mentioned spoken word. I had um, a spoken word artist on just um, the show before this one. And um, story writing and storytelling is is becoming a lost art. And um, anywhere I can find it, I want to focus on it. But you have struck a chord with people because everywhere I went all over the Internet, people just love you. And they you would think of you more of as, not just your story, but as an inspirational speaker. This is what people seem to to gravitate to you because of your your positive words and your insights. Where does all this come from? You know, I I um I love really hard and uh, like real real basically, and that's. Uh, I am powered by service, and my ability to thrive and to help others and to always work to produce something of my own life that may contribute allows me to be a counterpoint to all the hatred, ugliness, and violence that continually smacks us in the face and that surrounds our whole lives. You know, and it's not like it's easy because I'm really aware of everything that's going on in the world and. You know, poor. You know, pretty honestly. You know, you heard. You know how like a lot of people felt after September 11th. You know, mm-hmm. for quite a while, people felt really just like shell shock. Well, to be honest with you, that's almost every day for me. 
because I'm so aware of everything that's going on and I feel things so deeply. But I, in the midst of that endless chaos, you know, I, I've, um, I'm able to find beauty and hope through action in a wrecked world. And I still believe viscerally that we can carve ourselves up out of um, ultimate, you know, everything falling apart. Now, tell us a little bit about your um, your youth literacy initiative. Well, it's we don't have anything that's directly separated out, but in in the way we produce our, our, when we work with people, literature and the arts is one of the spokes on what we call the life wheel. So mm. that that's that's um, just part of our approach of helping people get the tools to to stabilize their own lives and uh and um move forward in something that they would excel in and excel in. Mm. And you and know, I, I you, you mentioned liter literacy right and um and just literature. For those who are uh interested in writing and and uh, the word and all that, I think that there is there are ways to to develop Develop your own voice and see that that communication is is really the basis of of everything, whether our problems or the things that we succeed in. And tell us about some of the. Um, I found some some interviews with you on Huffington Post, and are are you actually a columnist as well out there, or you have your own blog? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. Um, I don't have enough time right now, and I'm working with my staff to carve up more time. I was glad to do that interview, have that interview with Huffington Post, and I have been wanting to write for them. I have published columns and things like that in newspapers, but I have gotten so busy Hmm. that it's actually a a problem, and I'm sure other nonprofits have it too. You get to the point where you just don't even have the bandwidth to – I mean, you're managing and going through growing pains to yeah. to actually create, and that's really something that I uh, excel. In. So I'm working to be able to. Like, I have to speak at a national convention in Dallas tomorrow, and I just finished uh, writing the speech this afternoon. I had it blocked out, but and I still have to drive 244 miles. Um, you know, so it's uh, it's it's things can get pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, how how long though has this process actually taken you to change into this this new person? This realization you had came upon you, and then you became this this new person. And from there, things started to change, and you started to develop a, a whole new persona within yourself. Yeah, and from the outside looking in, even people who have known me just within my nonprofit, uh, Great Plains Restoration Council. They say they noticed changes even from six years ago or whatever, but it wasn't something that happened overnight. But after a point, you you learn from each experience. You're I, I certainly interacting and speaking with people all the time, just even and I do like hands-on work. So for somebody who never talked at all and never smiled at all, it's a huge change. Mm. But the process is really, really um, one over a long period of time, and that's really what 
for the people who are struggling out, out there, what I tried to help people see is that there is, you know, nothing changes overnight, but you can feel moments or parts of that change coming into your body and your soul. And mm-hmm. so you hold on to those, and then from there you carve out a new ability to to uh, to live with stamina because I see so many people give up so quickly and they insist their middle name is failure and, and they I don't know or this and that and and it's it's a matter of being finding technical tools to open yourself up more inside. Just like if I have personal training somebody or physical therapy there are many people who have never like I ask them to clench their abs and they say I don't even know where those are. And everybody mm-hmm. has rectus abdominis muscles or ask somebody to roll their shoulders. So getting more, re-inhabiting our own bodies, and, our, and I mean that for that our whole lives, allows us to be more conscious and present. And when we we start journeying down that path, like I said, we don't wake up the next morning with it all, you know, inside, but we have taken some steps, and then that steps, those steps lead us to further personal development. Right. And can you, can you identify a first step in this journey, or is it different for each and every person? Well, uh, I think uh, I think the first the first step is just what what does it mean to be present? If, mm. if I challenge somebody to for a moment, re-inhabit your own life, take yourself outside yourself for a moment, and and at the same time, look inside yourself more. Be, just become conscious of yourself physically. I think becoming more aware of everything, you know, the world and what's happening around us, being educated about the choices that we can make, what's happening in our world, while maintaining a, a personal balance, then gives you your framework mm-hmm. to be I'm a big advocate of uh, physical health as well because I think that opens up our spiritual health health and our mental clarity. Right, and that brings me to my next question. So how does um, being a vegan athlete um, factor into all of this? Well, um, at first I, I experimented with vegetarianism and then I went to becoming a vegan. It was, again, a, a process that itself, I found that the cleaner I got, the less toxins or damage that I'm, that my food choices do to others, the less damage that I intake and the less toxins I take into my body, the more power I get. So um, you, you hear the, the phrase, if you want to be as as strong as a bull, you don't eat the bull, you eat what the bull eats. Mm. And um, I also, you know, I've become really attached to be, being well because I'm, I'm in the midst of chaos and stress every day. I want to, uh, it's just is the nature of business I'm in. And so I have to constantly, you know, anchor myself in some type of, uh, Vitality; otherwise, I wouldn't be able to make a, make my way through and do the extra amount of work that I have to do. 
And um, are, are you still involved in the martial arts as well? Jeet Kune Do, the Bruce Lee style. Yes, I don't I don't train anymore. I went as far as I needed, but it was just put put a polish onto a you know street fighting approach that I really attached to. I'm a fan of Bruce Lee's approach, and and um, and so a lot of a lot of that perspective comes from uh, is is really useful uh, useful because it, it will mean um, you don't. I mean, you go forward into something like if somebody was was striking at me, you know, you would think a lot of people would 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 recoil or run away, but I would parry that aside and I would go right in at the same time. So there's also this this concept of telegraphing, and most people will telegraph what they're going to do. So you're being like razor sharp cons- conscious of what's happening right then and handling that situation. And I don't I don't shrink back. I go forward. Mm. And uh, this way, this way, I'm claiming my space where I am, not letting anybody else take that from me. And I think a lot of times we get so we allow other people to, who might not have our best interests, uh, to um, consume us. Now, um, I, I know you mentioned in some of your writings that you you can go into some of the toughest areas and toughest neighborhoods and, and not. Um, be afraid. Is this part of the reason why, or is there something more there that you feel that helps you in um, handling situations such as that? Oh, you mean in, in, with martial arts? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's, I've almost never had to fight. Before I even, back when I was still scared and country and everything like that and ended up on the street, I learned body, my body naturally evolved to create a body language that became just more of a a problem most times than to be dealt with. And then that covered for me until I did get tough enough. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty much that I, you know, what I mean by that is I'm, I have, have so thoroughly experienced the American story. And part of that means the, the story of people in the land, even in the hood that I, and I wear the streets like I wear my senses and skin there's so, such a natural part of me that I feel comfortable falling into that rhythm that it's second nature. And I mean, you know, it's a, it's part of my habitat. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know, a lot of the things that I've read about from your past, I can't hear any of it and what I hear today. <laughs> and um, it's just nothing to connect it to. And um, it's such an unusual story because, um, Generally, people who've come from some of the experiences that you've had on your life, um, I don't know if you would call them scars or whatever, but it seems to to creep with them and um, it's something that they can't seem to shake. But you you just don't see a a person in you that's been impacted by your life experiences. Um, What what do you really attribute that to? Well, there there are some of those those tenets, I guess, that still creep in every once in a while. Like, even though I was a teenage drunk and all that, my my biggest substance, I wasn't, while well, I was a drug dealer, I was never a drug user. My biggest substance abuse was extreme depression, and, mm. you know, for, for many years. I was on my way out by seven, and I, as I came into, uh, you know, over, I'd struggle with that for 
you know, most of my life. And, you know, then I, you know, got all uh, really powered into my work once I, you know, I made it and everything like that. And every once in a while I would I would admit real candidly that sometimes I can feel like the, the extreme weight of, of everything and it's, it's, you know, it tries to gnaw at you. And I, I sense some of that in the background a little. I just, I'm not allowed to show it as a public person. So... Um, nobody knows, but pretty much I learned I learned maintenance, and a lot of it is based in, in being well physically and always anchoring myself in work. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like mm-hmm. I'm blessed. I, Michael, I am so blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, I have. Uh, you know, there are people who can't even walk, or you know, um, people who live, you know, in war-torn Somalia or wherever. You know, so. I'm really thankful that God has blessed me with so much health and life and the ability to to do something, whatever that is. And, mm-hmm. that, you know, that I thrive off of that. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, tell me, what are some of the things that were, that you think may have been missing from your childhood that you've tried to, to make sure that would not be lacking in your sons? And in general, of all, all youth, is first and foremost is influence. Mm-hmm. I think just just being there, being uh, being a parent or a, a youth worker or whatever. I think for for kids they need you know good strong influences, and I think that they need a real clear eyed view of the world, and I think that they need to be able to to trust the adult around them, and and they need to be able to communicate. Again, we get back to like the the basis of all of human life communication. I find that if when you have when you give somebody proper influences, they have some um, like a guy a guide map a little bit. Mhm. Having rather than figuring it out emotionally or mentally all for themselves. And um did you really ever have anybody who had a major influence on your life that you looked up to that was um someone that even helped you maybe through this transition? Um, you know, for pretty much uh a lot of times people have I have some friends now, yes, and I've met and I've been uh in real recently only in the last like six months, I become friends with Pastor Rudy of St. John's downtown. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know it's, it's a famous uh, urban church that Beyonce and Kelly Rowe help help fund. But to be honest with you, for a long time when I was once I was doing my work, a lot of times people saw me as somebody who who was there to. So they saw me as probably even stronger than I I am and was there for them. But I haven't had a lot of people that I could actually really talk with. But that's changing now, and I have some good friends, and and it's and it's great. But I just happen to, I guess my, you know, my sense of of God even beyond. Like I never even went to church, but I had a really strong sense of uh, mm. like a clean power of 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 God out there on Earth as part of Earth, and that sort of was my what kept me going. Yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing. Um, you know, I went through quite a journey myself um, at one time in my life, and um, 
I took off and I just traveled to Europe and um, I was really exploring to find out who I was because I was escaping from the um, the images and some of the um, difficult um, parts of my life as a, as a young child and the responsibilities that were put on me as well as some of the um, tragic things that happened. And um, what I found was is when I reconnected and, and found people who did care and when I was able to talk to them and sort of um, not have anyone be able to, to judge my history or my past and just be able to sort of, um, you know, vent all the things that were on my mind. It was a healing process for me that um, brought me mental clarity. And um, were, those, this, were those people that you were close to or or they just came into your life randomly? or Well, everyone came into my life very quickly because that was the culture there. Um, in oh, England, okay. very people, you know, people don't watch television there. Um, your social group, your friends are everything. And this is who you spend your time with every day after work, you know, and this is what you do. You guys meet up and you connect. And this was something brand new for me because everyone that I had known before pretty much wanted something from me. And I was either trying to figure out how to hold back or either that figure out how to just get them out of my life. And that's what I was surrounded with at that time. So um, your story interested me because you made a transition from some things that seemed to be a lot more um, devastating and, um, you know, tragic in your life. Because I know of people, myself, friends of mine, who had a story similar to yours, and it didn't go well. They ended up in prison or they ended up dead. So to hear your story and not only to not hear you succeed in what you've done, but to also move forward and reach out and, you know, establish yourself as someone as positive as you are um, going out into the world and helping people and impacting the lives of others, I just thought was a remarkable story. Uh, thanks for that. I definitely should be, you know, I definitely should be dead or locked up in prison, but somehow or other I managed to break through that. that I think that I also saw, I had the one thing that I I can look back and see that I had that I don't see in a lot of young people is is um like consequence of actions. And yes. So there was I was able to have a, enough thought at the last moment even where I was able to to stop myself from reacting. You know I knew this this one dude who who just you know beat somebody nearly to to death with a tire iron. And he couldn't think at that moment, and that he did. You know, somebody had, had crossed the line, crossed the line for him. But for me, even though when I was really angry, and sometimes you, you know, whether I ju maybe justifiably at the last moment, instead of you know, lashing out and destroying others, I, I almost thwarted into my, shunted inside myself, where I more or less destroyed myself on the inside, but left enough there that it was ultimately survivable. So I try to build consequences of actions in, in people. I try to help them to find a way to, again, that breathing space in those moments, those crisis moments, because they're so constant and they're so they're all around. Technical, yeah. practical tools. Right, right. And, um, you know, no man is an island, but um, 
we tend to shut ourselves down when we're going through something that we really need to try to figure out. But a lot of times the answers are within ourselves, but sometimes they're out there in the world with people who are, are willing to either share some wisdom or knowledge or just to help you to sort of talk it out. You know, and I think that's real important. And um, we're going to take a quick break, um, and we'll be right back after this. If I may paraphrase Stephen King, the most important things are the hardest things to say. These are the things you feel ashamed of because mere words only diminish the thought. You see, words shrink things that seem limitless when they were in our hearts and minds to no more than just living size when brought out into the open. Oh, but it's more than that, isn't it? You see, the most important things lie too close to wherever your secret heart is buried. Like landmarks to a treasurer, your enemies would love to steal away and use against you at the worst possible moment. But still, you make revelations that cost you dearly, only to have people look at you like you're crazy, not understanding what you've said at all or why you thought it was so important that you almost cried when you were saying it. Do you know what's even worse than that? Is when the secret stays locked within and you can't get it out. Not for want of the courage to talk about it, but for want of someone who will just listen. Just listen. As someone who spends a great deal of time searching for the truth, the lesson that I've learned from this quote is, if you want the truth, you have to be prepared to release all judgment and be open enough to hear and accept the truth in whatever form it might take. Judgment alters the truth by changing how it's told or presented. Not accepting the truth stops the bearer from sharing the truth. Ignoring the truth kills ambition and is a recipe for disaster and makes success impossible. We all over the years have learned to guard ourselves against deception, but I've also come to realize that in most cases, you don't even have to discover or discern the truth. You just have to let it be and see it for what it is. Maybe you have a story too. It doesn't have to be just like the one we've heard. Hey, I just want to let you know I'm here and I'm willing to listen. All I ask from you is a measure of truth. Kainu, which means Our House in Haitian Creole, is an organization devoted to caring for abandoned and disenfranchised youth in Haiti. Kainu was started in 2009 by Executive Director E. Joanne Richard. Kainu aims to address the physical, emotional, and academic needs of Haitian youth. Their organizational model has adapted to the challenges unearthed by the devastating January 12th earthquake, which destroyed the majority of the government's buildings and the country's already weak infrastructure. This natural disaster created tremendous challenges which adversely impact the hopes of the Haitian population and the future of the country. In addition to the earthquake, recent hurricanes and other natural disasters rendered the community unable to meet the basic quality of life needs for the majority of its citizens, especially in the rural communities. 
Kainu seeks to rebuild hope through education and employment opportunities, as well as create relevant and duplicatable projects that the people of Haiti will be able to manage. In addition to the youth, Kainu seeks to help the adults of Haiti with the reconstruction of schools and housing. Sponsor a child and create real, lasting change, not only for them, but for their community. For just $15, a child can receive a full uniform for the school year. Kainu believes that the uniforms will build confidence for the students and also encourage families to enroll their kids in school, knowing that they will not have to choose between educating their children over feeding their families. Become a sponsor by promoting this event via email, on Facebook, Twitter, and with your community, networks, family, friends, and coworkers. For more information, check out kainu.org. That's K-A-Y-N-O-U-I-N-C dot org. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and we're talking live with Jared Manos. Welcome back, Jared. Hey, good to be here. That was beautiful about Haiti. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and uh, we're looking forward to doing one for you, too. <laughs> So that will we'll be airing that soon. And um, tell us a little bit about where people can um, contact you, as well as your organization's websites and all that information. Well, I'm on I am on Facebook. We're just trying to get that going. Uh, that's Ghetto Plainsman. That's uh, the where um, my main Facebook page. Or uh, my website is ghettoplainsman.com. And that's P L A I N S M A N. Or my organization is Great Plains Restoration Council. That's www.gprc.org. Org. All right, that's great. And um, you are also going to be doing some book tours, and um, you know, keep me abreast of what's going on on the Facebook page. And um, of course, um, you know, send me a shout if you ever need ten minutes to talk a little bit about what you've got going on as well. Um, feel free to get back to me, and um, we we'd love to have you back on and find out how things are going with you. Oh, I would be honored, and I know that we are started at University Leg as well as, as other venues. So I'm going to be coming to the D.C. Maryland area, um, probably before, hopefully before the end of May. Okay, that sounds good. We'll we'll definitely um, give a shout-out and make sure that we uh, have a great turnout for that. I'm sure you will. (laughs) I'm sure you will. Um, The women have been, you know, hitting my website, making comments about the show all day. Okay, guys, I know you're out there listening. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, well, um, I really appreciate you taking time out to um, and um, looking forward to a copy of that book as well. Hint, hint. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, I appreciate everything that you do in the conversation. I think that if wherever we are in life, we can just become fully awake for one moment, whatever that means mm-hmm. to anybody, and then retire and deeper from there, I think we really could start to you know, inhabit the new millennium. Mm. That's great. That's great. And, um, well, we are coming up on just a few minutes of the show, and um, 
I, I've just got a track from um, Triple F Productions that I just want to go ahead and dedicate to you and your cause. It's called Another Way to Live for Today. Thanks man, again, bro. and we'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. All right, bro. Thanks so much to you for everything you've done. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome.
Well, special thanks to producer Donna Hardiman and Boone from Pop Belly Productions and Freestyle Studios in Woodbridge, Virginia, for letting me test drive that intro track. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. with their lack of 
truth president, a lie that sent us back to jail, truth to derail, but you didn't follow what you called president, you just lent your own bent lies, dictum, Latin for lying, some differentiate between dictum and holding to hold on to your lack of precedent, no man-made exam can test, God's advocacy is the best justice. There is no justice, no balance, and no chance. Yes, this little black girl, Chester Pearl, just south of Philly girl, a country Philly Pearl from your so-called ghetto. Yeah, little skinny black girl, Chester Pearl. And I'll say it out loud, Chester, and I'm proud. Got your knowledge of your ways when I pray. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.